now we're recording. So can you just tell me your name and your current position? So I'm uh, Leonor Barak. Uh, um, I work at the Open University. I'm a senior lecturer in computing. Wonderful. Now, let's go all the way back to your early childhood. Okay. H how did you become interested in science? Was it something to do with your, your family or your So my, fa my father was um, an, an engineer. He was a very, very hands-on person. And uh, we are three uh, sisters. And he told me and my other sister, who, who are very close in age, he told us to do everything with our hands. So he was a proper engineer. Uh, so solving problems and sorting out things has been, I think, in my education since uh, very early. Mm. Um, I've always been very keen on math. Uh, I was very good at school math and exact sciences. What kind of school did uh, you go to? Everyone went to the same thing in Portugal, primers, uh, state primary school yes. and the uh, state secondary school, which were the best schools. I mean, at that and they time, and they're mixed. And they were not mixed. Oh. So so there were no mixed schools at all until I was 15 years old. Uh, so and uh, when the first mixed school opened in Porto, so my sister went there on the first year and I went there on the second year because it was a transition year on the secondary education. So we both, both jumped into second year with <laughs> into mixed school as soon as mm. we could. Not only because it was closer to our house, but it was a much more modern uh, and. Uh, different schools so the schools in Portugal were very very traditional mm. so by having a mixed school it was a way of modernizing also the system so um, and it was much it was well equipped it had quite innovative teaching teaching of maths was being uh, innovated at that time and uh, and and so that school was pioneer in many of those things so by so by going to that school, it's, uh, yeah. it was quite a, a nice move. And did all the students do maths? Was it something that... Yes, uh, you did maths until you were 15. And then uh, the last two years of the secondary school, you opted either for humanities or for more exact sciences. And I, I did uh, exact sciences mm. and I had maths until the end of secondary school. And, and was that an unusual choice for you as a girl? or? or no, no, girls. no. Uh, I don't know if it's because it, we were three sisters mm -hmm. and... Uh, um, but among <sighs> your classmates, did... I did no, I, it wasn't unusual at all. I, I didn't feel unusual. I, maybe mm. I can't remember the, the percentages, yes, but yes. I didn't feel unusual. Mm. Uh, it was... So from then, uh, I, I started... I opted to, to do engineering, so I more or less followed my father. But So there was no computing at all. Uh, uh, and I did electrical and electronic engineering. Mm -hmm. And this at, is... At which institution? At the Universidad of Porto, which um, is... There were only two universities in Portugal. They had one in Porto and Lisbon and another in Coimbra, and uh, everyone went to their local one if, um, if you lived in a town with the university. Mm. Um, and uh, so I, I started engineering. Um, had to go in the so which year was that? Let's get to so me. that is quite interesting because that was 73-74 um, mm. and the revolution happened in Portugal um, in April 74 and that was a major, major upheaval in every single way. So all universities closed between April and September. So as I was a first year student, um, a, a decision that was taken by then was to, to pass every student 
administratively into a second year because we have done it in April and uh, there was no way. So instead of delaying study, everyone was passed administratively in the second year. Uh, but it was an incredibly, an incredible time in Portugal. And uh, being 17, uh, I, I entered university quite young. So mm -hmm. I entered university when I was, um, yeah, 16 or 17, <laughs> because of, of my birthday dates, and uh, so it worked okay. Um, and either you got involved very, very heavily into what was happening. Or you just went home and uh, hid from what was happening and carried on with your life as it was before. And both me and my sister, we were very, very close in age and we uh, sort of lived those times to the full. So that meant. This, what was the marches, demonstrations? What everything, kind of, yeah, painting yeah. walls all night long, demonstrations, marches, trying to change the. Uh, the educational system from inside the universities, so there was continuous meetings about how to assess students and how are we going to be uh, doing everything in the best way. So it was at all levels, and uh, I got very involved. So this meant that uh, my education suffered quite a lot because I was doing all the other stuff, <laughs> and I, when I was going to lectures, I was falling asleep because I'd been up all night in meetings or painting walls or whatever. So I ended up doing a degree very poorly. I just finished the degree, but not uh, not a good degree at all. And when I finished it, uh, I thought I thought this was not a good degree. I wanted to, uh, what I really wanted to do is to start a new degree fresh, and I wanted to start maths. At that time, um, it was impossible to start a second degree because a lot of people were starting to get into university, so anyone who had a degree couldn't do it. Um, so I sort of went uh, the normal way, which was I went. I got into teaching, secondary school teaching, mm -hmm. and I started teaching. I, I have been teaching throughout my degree, um, and I started teaching maths in secondary school. Um, but that that was not what I wanted to do. So um, at that time, I had a boyfriend who was coming to Oxford to do a PhD, and I just. It, I had the option either to start my formal training as a secondary education teacher or just leave everything and see what, what I could make out of leaving Portugal. So I came with him and I spent... Um, so what, what year are we up so to So this now, is I 82, mm -hmm. um, so I finished my degree in 79, so this was two or three years after finishing my degree, so mm -hmm. I had been teaching for two or three years in secondary schools. Um, so I came to Oxford. And I looked for everything I could do, and I did a bit of everything. I did translation uh, into Portuguese of any stuff that was there to translate. Another thing I did, I did a bit, oh, in, before in Portugal, another thing I had done, apart from trying to get into math, which I couldn't, I got interested in programming. And um, oh. so I did uh, a small COBOL course in uh, NCR, which was one of the companies that were offering uh, courses in programming. So I did a bit of COBOL. Um, so when I came to Oxford, I got some job in the Bodleian Library uh, writing COBOL. <laughs> I can't remember what it was for. Uh, and while I, do, I was doing that and doing translation, so th that was my first year in Oxford, I was looking for opportunities to study. Um, and I saw the MSc in Computing and I applied for it. Um, and I 
so I, I, I remember very well the interview with Tony Hoare. So mm -hmm. Tony Hoare interviewed me for, for the MSc and I got in. And that's why I ended up doing mm -hmm. the MSc in computer. So what do you remember particularly about the interview? I remember people asking me about uh, functions and, and, and everyone, no, I was being, uh, I, was, I had been told before, I don't know by whom, that Tony Hoare was really intimidating. Uh, and I, I didn't feel intimidated by him at all, so it was, um, I, I think I had quite a nice interview and I, it was, I remember talking mostly about maths and my knowledge of functions and, and uh, other maths. Uh, don't remember much more than that. Mm, mm. Um, and, I, I, and that's how I started doing the, the MSc. Mm, mm. So how many people were there on the course when you started, <laughs> roughly? I, th I think there must have been something like uh, 16 people, 15 mm -hmm. people. Mm. Um, but, and I still, so I, we had, I, uh, we must have been uh, split into groups because I, I was part of a very, very close uh, group of three women and a man, uh, and apart from those the people, I remember just one more colleague that I still kept in touch for a while, and of the, this group of four, uh, so it was um, the man, I kept in touch with him, this was John Pavel, uh, I kept in touch with him for a long while, and then I lost touch, um, he worked in computing, he worked in uh, and, uh, the, national uh, the national statistics. I can't remember the name. But he of national statistics for a while. Then he became he worked uh, he became a civil servant. He worked in, the, in for the treasury, and then I was in touch with him. Uh, Gloria was um, a Mexican, and she was a fantastic, lively person, <laughs> and she was the sort of Gloria Gloria Quintanilla, and she was the joy of the group. And Hannah was a very quiet student, and. Uh, uh, she was a big of a contrast with all of us, and uh, because uh, she was from a completely different culture, she was from Sudan. Uh, from Sudan, mm. uh, but she, we got the four of us got along quite well. Um, so that from the people, the the the, the, the that that's what I remember. Mm. And, and uh, so with Gloria, I also kept in touch for a while, and I have been in touch with her. But I know she's easy to find. Uh, mm. uh, she, I know she has kept working in uh, in. Uh, mostly on software engineering mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. for, for a whole life. So well, how was the course delivered? So there was a lot of uh, lab work, there were lectures, um, and uh, I don't remember much. I remember doing a lot of, uh, spending a lot of time uh, programming and working in, uh, in labs mm -hmm. and uh, carrying on small projects. Um, and I don't remember much about what I did as my small master's project, but I worked with uh, Peter Henderson. Uh, he supervised me for my for my master's dissertation, and um, I got on quite well with him. So by the time I was finishing the MSc, I started looking for jobs in Portugal, and I applied. Uh, to Universidad of Minho in in Braga, which was one of the first universities to get uh, to start uh, what they called then and still I still call it an informatics degree, mm. um, and because it was quite a new university, also it was different, it was innovative, and I got a job there, and um, I I started working in in Salzburg when I left Oxford, and I kept in touch with Peter Henderson for quite a while. 
um, and he went there. So we did some. Uh, he was invited to to go to to Portugal and uh, work with me and did give a few talks there. So when I started thinking about doing a PhD, um, he was a natural choice. Uh, you want me to carry on? <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Well, so I'll just take you back um, briefly, just to fill in a detail, because I'm trying to keep up with the movement of the technology. Um, okay. What what, uh, what uh, kind of computer were you working on at that time and what Oh, it was just uh, mainframes and we just were yes. working on, uh, I mean, there was no, no, interf no, no nice interfaces, yes. so it was a command line. So command KDF, KDF oh, I have no idea. No, I don't... And did you physically um, uh, punch tape and feed it in or did somebody else do all that? No, I didn't, f I didn't physically punch tape. But we had those big sheets of uh, uh, printouts. Uh, yes. But uh, no, no, th there was. I, th I think we had moved on from punching tape. Mm -hmm. uh, um, can't remember. Yes. What else? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, what else I remember? I remember about uh, the, the teaching in the computing. So um, we want. I mean, functional programming was something that really interested me, mm. and, uh, and Peter, Peter was was teaching that. Can you um, uh, explain for somebody who doesn't know anything about it what you mean by functional programming? Uh, so, <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, so all 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 programs are, are built as functions that invoke other functions, and it's a very very recursive way of programming. So. Um, uh, you progress through data by calling a function iteratively through 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 that data and calling functions iteratively. So you end up processing things by getting to the beginning of the processing and delaying the rest of the processing. And I, I mean, I, I thought it's quite a, an interesting way of uh, programming. And Wisp was the language we were learning at that time. Um, what else did we learn? I think we programmed quite a lot in Pascal as well, mm -hmm. uh, and there was quite a bit of math as well. Mm. And, uh, Sorry, what was the earlier language you said? Pascal, I think. No, before you said uh, Lisp. 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 Yes, right. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, I don't remember much more about what <laughs> we 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 learned, mm. but I think I mean so the thing that uh, functional programming was something that uh, I got quite uh, interested in, and uh, so and uh, that I think. For my master's dissertation, I must have done something using, definitely using WISP. Um, and when, so when I did my PhD, I, I, uh, Peter was was the right person to work, and he was willing to take me as a, mm. as a PhD mm -hmm. student. And did just another thing to tidy up the Oxford connection. Did you have a college affiliation while you were? I had a college affiliation here, uh, which was very, very. Uh, I think it's. I can't remember how I got there. I think because. I was just given that college uh, when I applied for the MSc. So I had a co co uh, college of Christian St. Cross. Yes. And that time a lot of computing people seem to be... Uh, I think Peter was there as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I read that St. Cross was the first college to have its own computer. Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, St. Cross was very, very small college, mm. very mm. small college. And because I had spent a year in Knox before starting the MSc, uh, and uh, my boyfriend there was associated with St. Anthony's, and St. Anthony's has a, has a very large um, Latin American community and I get, get on very well with them. So I ended up not spending much time in St. Cross and uh, carrying on uh, connecting more with St. Anthony's mm. really than, than St. Cross. 
Uh, but uh, yes, I used it. But it was also very, very small um, at the time. Anything yeah. else about Oxford you want to know? Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I think we probably covered everything. Because it was only one year. But it was one year. Yeah, it was yeah, one year. So yeah. uh, it finished in September. So mm, mm. Um, well, it's, yeah, I finished at the end of summer and I think I went straight away to Portugal to start the job. Mm. Uh, mm. 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 So your job in Portugal, was that a research post or a teaching it post? It was a teaching post mm. um, and uh, uh, at that time, so you're supposed to start thinking about applying for a PhD and most people uh, apply for PhDs abroad because computing was very new then, uh, so there were not many people to supervise you. Uh, so it was the common thing to do, was mm. applying. And I was really lucky to be given some funding to do a PhD back in the UK, because as I had done a very poor degree, um, I mean, I think it helped a lot that I had done the MS in, in, uh, in mm. Oxford, because my engineering degree really had, uh, I, I didn't really ha had the threshold uh, <laughs> at the end to be entitled to, to funding, but, but I have got something, I don't know, maybe because there were not people, many people applying and because maybe I had the MSc from Oxford as well. So I got some funding to do a PhD and um, if I had kept a link with Peter, I decided to go and work with him. At that time, Peter was in Sterling um, and uh, he was very busy, he was head of the department there. So I ended up not spending a year there and not being supervised by him or being initially supervised by him, but mostly by someone else. Uh, at the end of the year, Peter said, um, I'm going to go to Southampton, so it's your option, either stay in Sterling uh, or come with me as, a, as my PhD student and then I'll supervise you and, and go to Southampton. And Sterling was also a small department then, uh, so I, I took the option uh, to move to Southampton mm. and finish my PhD in Southampton. Mm, mm. And that was, I think that was a very good move. Mm. Um, Southampton was uh, quite a big competing department with lots of ha interesting things happening there. Mm. And, uh, and again, can I ask you about the gender split that you found in the department at Southampton? Um, Oh, I didn't tell you anything about the gender split when I was a, uh, an engineering degree uh, student. Oh, and, no, and, yeah, and, that, and there, no, there, there I remember because it was 13 of us in a cohort of 200 and something. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, so, yes. that, so that, that was... Was that the first time you really noticed? That, that was the first time I really noticed. Yeah. But, I mean, I, 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 I fit it quite well, maybe, because I had come from uh, one of the first uh, mixed schools and so... It wasn't a problem mm. for me, uh, and so in terms of doing a split in uh, in Southampton, um, so I don't know anything about undergraduate students there because I didn't interact with them. In terms of PhD no, students, no, I meant in, the I mean in, in terms of your your department, the department itself. There were quite a few women there, there because were. Wendy Hall was there, uh, and there were two other women there, four, oh no, two, uh, so there were about, f at least in the staff, there were four women there. Mm, mm. Um, Vicky, I forgot her name, uh, um, I forgot their names, mm. but um, uh, there were definitely four, as far or throughout my PhD, I don't know if they were all simultaneously, mm. but throughout my PhD, there were at least four women in, in the staff. Mm. And um, among the PhD students? Amongst PhD students, probably, Probably not many. Mm. Uh, I can't remember any other woman. Uh, I don't know if it's because I mean, but we were really uh, 
Oh, no, 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 no. I remember very well uh, an Indian, an Indian friend of mine uh, who was way PhD then as well. Mm. But other than her, I may, may remember it's later, but I can't remember if there were any other women. Mm. But uh, I know, I don't, I don't mm. remember. Yeah. But it didn't. But it still felt like a comfortable place to be. I think it felt okay. Mm. I mean, um, yeah. For me, it was never an issue. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No. And, and what was the subject of your PhD? Okay, uh, another thing about gender split mm. is when I started before I did my PhD. So when I started um, uh, teaching in in Dominio, um, the gender split amongst staff there was I mean I probably was the department was split across two towns, but the the, the bit of department where I was working, I probably was one of the few women teaching, but. In terms of the students, the split was really quite even. So there was a bit 40% at least of the students were. Mm. were mm. Uh, it was a, it, I mean, it was a new uh, area. Uh, so the department when I started working there was about two or three years old, mm. uh, and the degrees were quite new. And it attracted a lot of girls at that time. Um, so. Um, when I started my PhD, uh, there you, was, uh, you were asking me about the area. I was uh, so. I was trying to find representations and to for requ requirements and uh, to prototype requirements. So I was trying to animate uh, requirements, and I used quite a lot of Lisp. And in fact, when Peter went to, I'm jumping back and mm. forward, but we did quite a bit. Um, I, I think I confused things chronologically because when Peter went was after my, my PhD so it, my, my cover, uh, the cooperation of Peter Henderson and Braga was after I finished my PhD not after I finished my master uh, because uh, he it was also a time so when by the time we finished I finished my PhD it was also a time so this was 89 it was also a time where um, objects were coming on scene uh, object-oriented programming mm. um, and yes, so Peter went to Braga a few times and we did quite a few collaborations with him and uh, started introducing the teaching object oriented programming after that uh, in, in Braga. Um, so um, I spent, let me just think, before my PhD I spent about um, three years in, in Braga in, in, in Sao Domingo. I came away, I did my PhD. I asked for an extension to start to stay working in South after my finish my PhD. I did within three years, but I, I stayed another six months more to participate in a small European project, and I was just doing a bit of programming there. And I can't remember what the project was about, but it, it, uh, so I stayed another ex uh, extra six months. And by that time, you um, carry on. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so by that time, I had met. Uh, what, who would become my partner, Sebastian Ratz, and he was working as an... So Sebastian was a uh, graduate from Oxford, he had done classics, uh, but he very, very early in his career moved into technology and became, and became a self-taught programmer, but he always kept his interest on classics, and uh, so he always worked... Um, on uh, the gap between uh, or on how technology could help humanities mm, mm. Uh, from very very early on and uh, he was teaching in um, Southampton as a lecturer uh, 
for computing in the humanities. So he was one of the, the first lecturers. So mm. And he was teaching... Um, uh, yeah, he was teaching something that he, he was calling green computing. <laughs> I don't know why he was good. Uh, so I had met him uh, while I was in Southampton, and um, when I finished my PhD and after staying another six months after, I went back to to Portugal, uh, and we spent a year um, where he came and spent some time in Portugal. And it, it, Portugal at that time was a a completely different place from what it is now, and it was very, very difficult for someone uh, to find a job coming from outside, uh, not speaking the language. Um, so I took the decision to leave Portugal and come to the UK to mm. to, to live with him. Um, and at that time, I mean, because I had been funded for three years to be abroad, and I didn't know what, where my life would take me. I took the decision of paying back the university in Portugal because I didn't want to leave, uh, because I should really have stayed there for three years at least to pay off my yes, yes. The, the time they had given me away. Uh, so I paid the university off and uh, I kept uh, uh, to live in a, in a clean way. And I, I collaborated, uh, so I, I came, where am I? <laughs> Let me just stop a bit. Uh, so. When I left, uh, okay, so I left Universidad Domingo and I started applying uh, well, for jobs and I got a post as a research assistant in uh, the University of York uh, in the computing department. And so Sebastian and I uh, started living in, in New York. And uh, I kept a collaboration, uh, quite close collaboration with Universidad uh, Domingo uh, through the British Council that has. Um, was funding uh, interchanges between Portugal and UK to the old friendship between the two countries. Uh, and because I had had a wonderful time in Minho, um, I had made very good friendships, I had wonderful groups of students, and I, I really liked having worked there. So I kept the links back there, and we did collaborate for quite a few years, and then life got too busy, and um, and that stopped. But I also I always kept the links. Mm -hmm. Whenever I have an opportunity to to go back and uh, do something with me, mainly with the the colleague, I I really was quite well there. I do I do that, and I still go back and visit uh, regularly. Um, so I started working in New York. Um, I became a research assistant uh, for a project um, that was about dependable computing. It was a project that involved the universities of um, York and Newcastle and was funded by British Aerospace. So it was quite a big project. And yes, uh, this, so the title, Dependable Computing, uh, did it that was imply that a lot of computing wasn't very dependable? It, I mean, this was funded by British Aerospace. So the idea is to make sure that all the, the software being developed for, for British Aerospace was really rigorously developed. So we, we were at the time where formal methods were um, quite uh, important and relevant. I mean, I'm sure here in Oxford they've always been important, but in some, in some other areas they sort of they declined. Uh, so it was very much about how to uh, develop software for uh, safety applications in uh, a more rigorous way that could be usable as well. So it was a question of usability and formality and how they could be put together. And uh, so the group in um, 
let me see if I can remember the names. The group in York was led by John McDermott, and the group in Newcastle was led by Anderson, I forgot his first name. Uh, so it was a collaboration between the two universities mm. and, uh, and um, um, yeah, did share a space. Um, and I, I worked in that project, and um, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot, uh, um, but um, I decided to, so I spent that after three years, um, and the project was big and it was expanding, so I, but I, I, I started looking for uh, more permanent posts and uh, lecture posts, and at that time, um, I also had had enough of York. <laughs> it was too small, uh, and uh, so I, I decided to apply for jobs, and then uh, I got um, a job at the Open University. That's mm. where I'm still <laughs> am now, almost 25 years onwards. Uh, and um, and is, is that does that in involve? Does that give you time to do research and? and so the um, Open University, and so I joined the Open University at the time where uh, I think it was an era of um, the university was being extremely innovative at that time. Uh, I mean, for me, it was completely different environment to work because I had mm -hmm. taught in a normal university in Portugal. Yes. I had been involved from the research point of view in another standard type of universities. Mm. So the OU then, um, teaching was very seriously taken. But it, I mean, uh, I, I felt from day one at the Open University that there was a big emphasis in it being, from the staff point of view, of being an university where you were expected to do research as much as teaching. Except for, except that uh, teaching was extremely seriously taken, and mm. it still is. Mm. So we spent, and, and I wasn't used to that. I mean, I always lived, uh, taught in an environment where the night before you prepare the lecture <laughs> on the following day. And because things are so much more permanent there, um, the time you spent in mm. uh, planning and writing. So you're developing material. Developing so material. Well, originally it would have been TV, would it? Would it and then no, 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 it, it was never TV. It was never TV. TV has always, I mean, uh, uh, so there, uh, there were TV programs, mm. but they were support programs because mm. all the materials, we never, uh, we never recorded, I mean, I know there were those BBC programs, mm. but they were sort of tutorials mm. because the students always received all the material. So the material was at that time all written and sent to the students uh, in fantastic boxes with everything they needed about. So the detail that was put in every single word you wrote was amazing. Mm. Uh, and that has been a, a big learning curve and I mean, and at that time the, the university I think was quite well off. Uh, so there was quite a lot invested in staff development, in training as how to write for uh, distance education. So but I always, uh, so I carried on doing research uh, throughout my time there, and because I always, I was involved uh, mostly in the teaching of uh, master's models, to start with, uh, master's models for um, software engineering and object-oriented uh, software engineering, mm, which mm. was quite strong at TOU at that time. Mm. And, and how did the students do? Did they have lab work? Did they have to come to summer schools and, and um, We never had summer schools in computing, mm. never. Uh, so the students get 
uh, all the kits they need to. But do they need to, so? Do they need to have a computer or have access to uh, a computer? They have to. Yeah. They have to. Yeah. I can't remember that time. So th there has always been a minimum specification of what students had. So at that time, students already had uh, access to computers. Mm. I can't remember if we were asking them to have personal computers and or access to computers somewhere else. Mm. Uh, so there is always a, a so minimum. We, I think we should put another date okay. stamp in. What, what date did you start at? Okay, at the, at the you I started there in uh, uh, 90... Let me just think... Uh, ah, um, 94. 94, yeah. yeah. Uh, and by that time I already had my first daughter, uh, so she was born in New York, and uh, uh, so working at, uh, so working at YOU, although, it, I mean, it gave me a bit of flexibility as well, mm. because uh, although in the beginning uh, I was trying to go to Milton Keynes at least four times a week, um, I mean, it was a very supportive environment to work, uh, it has always been, and uh, um, and then I started working throughout my time at the OU. I started working more and more at home. Uh, and now every single meeting has an online alternative. Uh, but I still, I still go to, to Milton Keynes every week. Um, uh, so, wh what was I talking yeah. about? <laughs> I, was talking I, about I think I was, yes, I, I think I asked, started by asking a question about research. Okay, yes. okay. So, research there. Um, let me. Um, Trying to think what I was doing there in terms of research. So I was, I was pretty much. I mean, so I, 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 I think I sort of. My, my work until then had been very much uh, about using formal methods and uh, so on. And in Braga, in in the University of Minga, I was involved in the teaching of algorithms and informal methods as well. But uh, by that time, I was moving away from from uh, more formal computing, and I was very much getting more involved in the software engineering um, and software development. Throughout my PhD I already had done quite a lot about software development and development approaches and so on. So I didn't, I didn't go back and look at what I've done in mm. terms of research when I joined, uh, I joined the EU, but I've always kept res being research active and it has been always, I mean, it, for a long time it has been on um, uh, addressing the gap between requirements and, and development. Uh, so uh, it has been always on, on, on that area. Um, so I... I just think about what I did. I should have looked at my CV. <laughs> no, 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 my right. I mean, all that but kind of thing is in the published record yeah, on your yeah, papers. Yeah. And all will be uh, okay, so, so I've, done, I've done that. I've done um, a bit of research as well that is more recently uh, about how to teach software engineering and also about, because I was uh, involved in supervision, we have quite an, a lot of uh, part-time PhD students mm. in computing. Not all departments do, but in computing we always had, had quite a lot of uh, part-time PhD students. And uh, we always made a big effort of supporting PhD students. Um, and while it has always been quite easy to do for those, we still we have full-time students on campus, uh, so they are the only students in, uh, on campus in Milton Keynes are the full-time PhD students. But um, to support the distance education students, who are, those are really all over the world. Um, 
I did quite a bit of research about uh, development of research skills and how to support them. And we created, uh, this is more recent, at the time where uh, Virtual Worlds came on board, we uh, developed uh, what we call a, a virtual uh, research uh, masters. So it was just a creating an environment mm -hmm. to help uh, students at a distance to have more of a feeling of a community and being able to interact with others because uh, uh, they always find ways of interacting with supervisors. It's more to get the all the, the interchanges that communities uh, of PhD students do have when yeah. they are co-located. So I've done a bit of uh, research on um, distance education and distance education in the software engineering area. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a bit of distance uh, development of distance uh, distance of research skills. Mm, mm. Um, so, I also did quite a bit of uh, research. So, apart from keeping some links with uh, Portugal and the University of Minho, I also collaborated a lot with Brazil because while I was doing my PhD, no, when I started working in. Um, with uh, John McDermott in New York on the, as a research assistant. There was a PhD student that I got on quite well with, and she was a Brazilian uh, researcher. And uh, so we kept, when she went back to Brazil, we kept collaborating quite a lot. And uh, so we spent very intensive periods of collaborating, then periods where we didn't do anything, and then more recently she even spent a year uh, at OU working uh, with working with me and so we've been and through her I, I developed other collaborations in Brazil uh, in the area mostly in the area of um, ed education um, and computing and mm. education mm. and mm. research mm. in mm. that area. So is that, um, sorry I'm back to gender again, but <laughs> this is about, uh, do you find that the educational research has a higher proportion of women in it? Yes, definitely, yeah. definitely. Uh, so, yeah, all the people, I mean, think about the people I did work with at the OU in that area, yes, but I mean, I, my department in uh, Open University is very unusual in terms of uh, gender split because it's quite balanced and there was a time where there were more female professors than male professors. Mm. And this is a department of software engineering or computing? Computing. Science? Computing. computing. It's com computing. Um, yeah. uh, now, now it's called computing. Now it's the merge of uh, uh, computing and uh, technology. So this is computing and communications department. Mm. Now it has been going through many different. Well, yes, I've read about <laughs> what's happening in the uh, But yeah. um, so when I started working there, there were quite a lot of women. Really, there were quite a lot of women, mm. and and there, there was a time I don't think. That's the case anymore. Is it the case? But we still have one, two, three, uh, at least three female professors in the department. And uh, and I mean, being the OU, um, it has always been a, a very supportive and uh, nice place to work. Mm, and mm. Uh, in terms of the staff, it was never a, an issue at all. Mm, mm. In New York, um, it was a much more male-dominated uh, department, and in that project, um, I probably was like one woman. 
I can't remember. I can't remember. But because we were interacting a lot of um, with the um, British Aerospace, there were a f quite a few women we mm. were working on the British Aerospace. Mm. And, uh, so, uh, so I mean, to be quite honest, gender has never been an issue for yeah. me. No, and so now is an issue. Uh, I mean, is an issue at the OU in terms of attracting uh, students. Uh, I'm quite involved now with degree apprenticeships at the OU. And although I, I'm told that the generic pan panorama for degree apprenticeships uh, is not like at the OU, but at the OU is really bad for <laughs> attracting women. Uh, I've been told that the overall picture uh, for the apprenticeships in uh, technologies and uh, digital and technology solutions, that's what they called, um, that's the, the apprenticeships are attracting quite a lot of women, but the you are not. Uh, so it's an issue in terms of, um, it's, it's not an issue in terms of staff, it's an issue in terms of attracting students. Mm, mm. Mm. And do you have any idea what the reason for that is? Um, I mean, apart from the reasons that everyone mm. identifies. I mean, it's quite difficult for us because we have a completely different profile of students. Yes, yeah. Although, although our profile of students is getting more closer and closer to the more typical profile mm. because we are suddenly attracting much, much younger students. Um, so, so I don't know. I don't know what the, reason is, mm. the reasons are. Um, and I don't remember before what the ratio was before we started attracting. So now we're attracting more and more younger ones. But mm. when we were attracting, um, when we were attracting older students, we were attracting quite a few returner to work women. Uh, mainly at the time I was involved with with master's degrees, and uh, our master was what we can uh, call. Uh, conversion master and mm. it was attracting a lot of women returning to work uh, with other backgrounds other than computing uh, but I don't know what the the gender uh, numbers were at that mm. time mm. Um, and I, I mean other than the reasons of uh, how people are attracted uh, women are attracted to science and mm. so on um, no I don't I don't know I don't know how many where are we? <laughs> <laughs> and have your daughters followed you into uh, mathematics? So because both Sebastian and I, uh, I mean, he, how, I mean, although everyone says, oh, you were both doing the same thing, we were doing completely different things. Because so Sebastian was uh, working here in IT services, and he was, very, I mean, he always kept uh, a very strong link with uh, digital amenities, and he was one of the founders of the um, Oxer. Uh, summer school in digital humanities, so it was quite instrumental. And here in Oxford, whenever there were projects he could do with people in the humanities, he did them. Uh, I mean, he did a very, he had um, an ongoing project which was cataloging the, the Protestant cemetery in Rome, which if you ever <laughs> if you ever go to Rome is a, a beautiful thing, uh, and um, and he did that as a, his master's uh, dissertation, and he carried on every time he could do a bit more for the, the Protestant cemetery. He did so, but because we both were, uh, he was much more uh, of a technical person than I was because mm -hmm. I moved into software engineering development while he was a much more hands-on person and. Uh, he would solve any computing problem, and he was uh, 
participating in, in open source development intensively. Uh, so I think the goal, both, both of them <laughs> sort of switched off the technology. <laughs> and uh, so the, the other one is uh, completely technology averse. Uh, and, uh, and no, they didn't follow us at all um, in, in that way. <laughs> mm. Yes, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm always interested in knowing what um, the, the family background was of people. And in your case, you had a father who was an engineer, and that yeah, excited yeah. you about that field. Yeah, but yeah. often you do get the complete opposite, and yeah, you find yeah, that it yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't go yeah. the same way. Yeah, I think so my father was quite instrumental. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, what well, I think we've oh yes, we've just I think we've done plenty of time. Um, so just looking back at your time on, on the Masters in Computing, how influential would you say that had been in the course I of mean your subsequent career? I mean, it was totally influential. <laughs> because, I mean, I was at that point where I knew I had done a poor degree. I knew I was quite interested in technology. Uh, and I knew I had to develop myself in some way. So doing the Masters was crucial in that way because... I get in the job in the, the university. I never have dreamt of that if I hadn't done uh, uh, if I hadn't done the masters. Uh, having met my my partner would never have happened. So it was completely mm. uh, fundamental. I mean, coming back to work with Peter Henderson. Um, so looking back at my career, everything was determined by the masters I had done, yes, yes. Uh, and it's sort of put me back into the track of if I had, if the revolution hadn't happened in <laughs> Portugal, if I had followed a typical career, I would probably be doing something, I don't know what would have happened, because when I did my degree there was no computing uh, being taught at the time, so the first microprocessors were arriving and there was a big thing. Uh, so, but I would probably have followed, uh, I don't know, I don't know what else <laughs> happened, but I mean, it, it really, uh, being living living in the UK and so on, it was uh, I mean change mm, mm. change what I was doing mm, completely. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is really final. Uh, can you put into words what it is you like about computing? I mean, solving problems, uh, solving problems, and uh, solving problems in the way that more and more now that I moved into software engineering, solving problems in a way that. Um, it's usable for the people that are going that have those problems. Mm. So mm. it's not a technology in its in its own. Um, and more recently, I haven't mentioned it, but more recently I've been working a lot on agile software development. So it's only not only solving problems to get solutions that are useful and uh, serve the purpose of what they intend, but also the way uh, that software is being developed and uh, the way people work now in teams in a more agile way uh, is something that interests me because. Mm. Uh, uh, you develop software solutions for people, but it's also the people that mm. are involved in developing mm. uh, those solutions that is quite important. Yes, so yes. it's not a known as technology for technology. No, so it's yeah. really the interface yeah. between yeah. the technology yeah. and the people yeah. who are using yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. <laughs>